gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers uh, for the perfecting of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry, which will edify and build up the body of Christ. Would you all stand to your feet one more time and let's all receive the ministry gift of Katie Kazadi. Let's give her a warm linked up welcome. Oh, come on, Linked Up Church. Why don't you give it up for Jesus? Come on. While you're standing, why don't we just open our hearts right now to the presence of the Lord. Father, we thank you that your spirit is present in this place. So we create an atmosphere this morning in this room. Father, we need you to speak. In this hour, it is urgent that we understand what your word says to us. May the unfolding of your word today bring us light in this dark world. We love you, Lord. We lean deeply into your word today, and we know that as we reach, we will find you. And the word that you send forth, I declare, shall not return void in any heart, in any life. We thank you, God, that the hearts in here are good ground and that the word will bring forth fruit, some ten, some a hundredfold. And we declare it by faith in Jesus' name. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I got to say, you look beautiful. I'm jet lagged, but I think I'm seeing right. Uh, you may be seated. This morning, I'm so honored to be here. Um, I don't have a lot of time and I have a lot of words, so I want to, but I do want to say this. I just, I'm so grateful. You know, I saw uh, this church from afar when it was a baby. Now, you're still a baby. You're a few years old, right? But you're a big baby. Um, you're a big baby for a few years old, but. Uh, the second, the moment this church was planted, my husband and I looked at each other and said, uh-oh, Atlanta is in trouble. It's about to go down. And I'm so happy to be here to see with my own eyes this beautiful, big baby. You look great, linked up church. God is good. Yeah, you ought to praise God for what's happening in here. It doesn't happen like this all over the place. Um, I, I just want to give honor to your incredible, amazing pastors, pastors Joel and Trish Gregory. I think you know what you have here. Thank you so much for having us, and thank you for what you're doing here for the kingdom of God. Uh, it's interesting because uh, your pastor has been um, close to my husband for years now, and the truth is, if I'm honest, I know that um, many of the things that I have in a husband uh, are because of the investment that Pastor Gregory made, and I thank you for that. I have the husband I have today, much because of your investment, and I could never thank you enough. He gets up, uh, I, I see him sometimes, not sometimes, every morning, early in the morning, and I, and I say, I know, I know where that came from. When you're meeting with Jesus early in the morning, just the integrity. I've, I've heard so many stories about your pastor that I feel like I know him, so I just want to make sure you realize what an incredible leader that you have in this house and if you don't know my husband my husband um, is the handsome man sitting down here holding my beautiful little child who is a miracle because when Jesus says yes can nobody say no is that right and I remember when the doctor said to us you will there's nothing we can do you will not be able to bear children and my husband stood up in that office in Australia put his hand on the table and said but God can and God did. <laughs> I'm going to stop there so I don't uh, go too far. Let's get right into the word today because 
the scriptures have so much to say about our topic today. And I, I could have done two things. I could have come here and just done a cute little message about diversity and we're all different and it's all great. But I think this hour is too urgent to do that. I think with what we are seeing in our culture in America, we need desperately to know not what the culture says, not what our families have said, but what does the word say about this? And I know this is a word church, so I've chosen not to come here and just to play games, but let's tackle this according to the scriptures, okay? I wanna teach a little bit more than preach today. I want us to understand really what the scriptures has to say. I'm going to begin with the end, which is Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to just read it quickly. After this, John says, I looked, and there before me, he's speaking of in the new Jerusalem or heaven, uh, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Somebody say, our God. Our God. Um, before I get to, I, I, I'd love to begin in the scripture, but let me just briefly introduce myself. Let me tell you why I'm so passionate about this topic. Because um, I feel like I was born for such a time as this, for moments like this. I, I have an interesting upbringing. Um, I was brought up <laughs> in a home where, uh, unlike a lot of people, there was just a lot of diversity around me. My, on my mother's side, my aunt is half Filipino. On my father's side, um, I got a lot of Greek in me. And uh, honestly, I don't know what else, but if you have even a little bit of a Greek, they, you're Greek, okay? But I'm only like 25%. And, uh, but on my Greek side, all the immigrants married other, uh, other nationalities. So my cousins that I grew up with be like Greek and Italian, Greek and Hispanic. And the ones that I spent most time with were Greek and Thai. So my cousins were Asian and that was normal to me. Uh, that was just my life. Um, New York. At 18, I moved to New York, a very diverse place, but I actually moved um, at 18 years old. I lived nine years serving in the inner city. Um, the neighborhood I lived in and the neighborhoods I worked in, if you were not a staff member that worked at this church, uh, you were not white. Let's just say that. Um, it was predominantly Hispanic an African-American neighborhood that I lived in for nine years and served in. My roommates uh, who came to serve were Mexican, uh, German, Canadian, an African-American from Mississippi who did hair and liked to um, practice her braids on my head. Um, she taught me to wrap it at night and when it itches, you pat, you don't scratch. I'm telling you. And, and uh, my other roommate was Korean, but she was abandoned and adopted as a baby so she grew up in America, raised by a Puerto Rican mom and a father who was a Jew. So she was Korean and her last name was Weitzman, and she had a lot of fun with it. So I grew up uh, with a diverse background that I spent nine years in New York around so much diversity, walking closely with, because it's different to just, you know, oh yeah, I have a friend that's from, you know, somewhere else. It's different when you actually walk with people and do life and you start to understand their struggles and, and, and what their life has been like and their culture. Um, and so that was those years, and then the church I served in <laughs> was uh, a large church called Christ Tabernacle, primarily Puerto Rican, and it was in the inner city, and then I launched my ministry. And somehow, some way, for some reason, for all the years I've done public ministry, probably 85% of my invitations are to African-American churches. That is most of what my ministry has been. The church we pastored in Australia 
It was the campus that was actually the international campus. So most of the people in our campus were not from Australia. They were immigrants from Africa, Asia, and India. So you think it's weird, it messes with your head, but it's like um, an, an Asian person with an Australian accent. It's amazing. So we grew up around a lot of diversity. My whole life has been, and then God sent me a man, not just African-American, but born in the Congo. It doesn't get any more internet right here. <laughs> Forgive him. That's not where he would have said he's from, but that's where he's from. We won't go there. Uh, I tell you this, just to say this, um, I feel like I've been armed with a very unique perspective uh, for moments like this. I see life differently and I see scriptures differently and I understand the urgency because I've walked closely enough with people to understand where we are in America just a little bit. I'm, I've been in the cars with too many people when they were pulled over and not treated like I was. I, I've experienced friends being pulled out of their car and thrown onto the ground um, because they didn't use a blinker when they parked and car torn apart. I've, I've, I've got friends been surrounded by guns because they fit the description. This is not just something that's far removed from me. This is a reality that I understand. And this is what I'm passionate about because the, the answer, the solution is in the scriptures. We actually have it. And there is a, a job for the church to do. So today we could, we could talk about cultural diversity from an intellectual standpoint, or we could say, no, I, I think it's a little different. I think God has something different to, stay, to say. Um, from the word perspective, I start in Revelation at the end. But today we're going to go to the beginning. We're going to take a little journey because God is a visionary, which means he always begins with the end in mind. The end is heaven Jesus the Lamb at the center and every nation, tribe, and tongue crying out, worthy is our God. But if we are going to start, we need to start in Acts 17, 26. Now some stuff, if I don't have time to read because I want to honor my time, I want you to write it down and go home if I speed through it. Um, but many of, it, many of these scriptures I'm, I'm going to read. Acts 17, 26. From one man, say one. One. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Now, it's interesting to note in Acts that he is actually speaking to some people, I believe Greeks, who have um, a lot of ethnic pride. And what he is saying to them is a little confrontational. He's saying this, you were all cut from the same cloth. Everybody, everybody you're looking at around you, you actually began with one man. So we see this, that God's plan from the beginning Diversity is God's idea. It is God's design. He had one man, and from that man, he divided into many nations, took them, and set them where he wanted, right? So his idea was to make us diverse from one, but then to make us different. Now, sometimes the scripture is confusing. I'm going to be honest. Where we're going to go right now gets a little confusing if you don't understand the mind of God. So God's plan was that he would divide all nations, right? He would make us all different, very different. Different cultures, different upbringings, different features, um, different food, different music, all these things. We would be separated not just by our differences, but by our distances physically all across the world. So we know that diversity was God's desire. So it's confusing to me if we go to John 17, which Pastor read uh, this morning, 1720 to 23, Jesus says in his last prayer for us, for us, 
He says this in 20 to 23. I ask for all those who will believe in me through your word that they all may be one. From one he made many, and then pray they would be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. And then in uh, verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect, perfected in unity, right? In unity. So Jesus, is, this is his prayer for us. And he says this, Father, may they be one like we're one. So here's God. He starts off with one, divides us, makes us into many. But now you say you want us to be one. I'm confused. You could talk back to me today. It's fine. Uh, he wanted his people to be diverse and different, but then he also desperately wanted them to be united. If you wanted us united, why did you make us so different? What are you doing? And do you want us different or do you want us the same? Because you, you, diver you, you, you diversified us, right? You, you made us diverse. You changed us, but then you're telling us, no, we got to be one. But you made us different. What do you mean by one? Maybe he just means like one doctrine and one Bible. No, no, he goes, no. Here's how I want you to be one. I pray they're one like we're one. Have you ever tried to explain the Trinity to someone? Okay. Now, if we're all honest, Trinity is one of the hardest doctrines to really understand. We try all these examples, the peanut, the ice, the water, all these other things. But reality is, unless the Holy Spirit leans into your heart to believe, the Trinity don't make no sense. It's confusing and it's senseless. And he says, I want them to have a kind of unity that's like that. It doesn't make any sense. It does, it's actually confusing. It doesn't make sense when I see people who are so different, but yet they're one. This is a large task. <laughs> It doesn't get any simpler. It's, it's already getting confusing. So he goes, you were one, and I divided you. But now I want you to be so one that it's hard to even explain. So when he, if he wanted a united body, why did he make us so different? I would think it would be a lot easier on him to make us more alike. It would be easier for us to have unity. But for some reason, he decided he would rather make us one out of many, that he would rather divide us, take what was divided, and make it one. It is a bit mysterious to me. And if you have patience, you can wait and ask God when you get to heaven what in the world he was thinking. But I'm not patient, so I looked into the scriptures to try to get to the bottom of the mystery. What is this all about? God is intentional. So in this hour, we need to know what was his intent. Today's message is titled, It's Complicated on Purpose. It's Complicated on purpose. So it gets more tricky. God prays desperately uh, once he separated us that we would be one. But then, if you go back to Genesis, you know your word. He seems to take one nation, elevate them above everyone else, bless them. And to me, that sounds like a recipe for division. You already separated us. Now you take Israel, you take your people, you put them on a pedestal, you bless them, you do all this with the Abrahamic coven, and now you still want us to be one. You know, in Genesis 12 too, and he talks about, I will make a great nation of you. I will bless you. He makes this covenant, and he says, here's how you're going to separate yourself from everyone else. Here, here he goes dividing again. Okay, you're going to separate yourself by circumcision. If you're circumcised, you are marked, and that means that you are above, that you are, um, you are marked with God's special blessing and favor. You are privileged. 
Okay. I thought you wanted us to be one. You're really working against yourself, God, here, but let, let's just see what, what happens. So from conversations between Abraham, we see God's final plan hasn't changed, though, because interestingly, in Genesis 17:4, he says, you will be the father of many nations, many nations. Uh, I will multiply you to be the father of many nations. So he still has a plan in mind um, somehow for us all to be one. So we see this. To recap, he takes one, makes it many, and then made one privileged. And now he wants us to be one. We've got to stop here to find just a few words before we, we move on. Okay, so in the scriptures a lot, you see Jew and Gentile. All right, so Jew is God's chosen people that he has blessed. Gentile is often um, translated in the Greek as the word ethnos. And it really means every other ethnic group, okay? So every other ethnic group is Gentile. So circumcised is what they would call the Jews, right? It was, it was kind of like a name. Uncircumcised is what they would call the Gentiles. They would call them uncircumcised. So here's the thing, God blesses one, but he actually tells them why. In, uh, we see it quoted in Acts 13, 47, Paul says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the end of the earth. But here's what happened, because the Hebrew people enjoyed such a great blessing, they began to believe that they were just elite, right? They were called to be, they were blessed to be a light, but they started to just believe they were elite. So what you see develop over culture um, is, over time, over generations, is more and more they begin to believe that they are just elite. The Gentiles, every other ethnos, every other group, they actually see as being below dogs. I mean, I know it's hard to see in the scripture, but if you look and you really searched, it was so tense ethnically in these times. They saw Gentiles as being worse than dogs. You fast forward from the covenant with Abraham and the elevation and the blessing of Israel to the days of Moses. The Israelites who have been now, you know, God has chosen them. But what happens is Pharaoh begins to be afraid of them because when you're favored, you're feared, right? He's afraid that they will multiply. He's afraid that they will overcome somehow so slowly and methodically he manages to oppress and enslave them. So now God's people are enslaved. They're being treated harshly, but that's not enough. I don't know if you've looked closely enough, but then he initiates essentially what is a genocide. He's so afraid that they will multiply that he says that all the, the Hebrew children must be killed. So you have this reality in their culture. Blood of children is floating in water. Oppression, genocide, tension. Blood in the water and Moses floating in a basket to escape. God raising him up to lead his people out. And what does he say? God says, let my people go. We see the separation. It's, it's me and then it's you. So extreme ethnic tension, circumcised versus uncircumcised. The word uncircumcised usually, or excuse me, ends up becoming a derogatory term. Remember David goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Every time you hear the word uncircumcised, you can imagine they look them head to toe and back up to head again. Uncircumcised, Philistine. It is a derogatory term that refers to all these other ethnic groups. So you read, and what happens is from generation to generation, the tension and animosity escalates and escalates. It's not just Jew versus Gentile. It is so much ethnic tension. They hate each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't go to church together. And they definitely better not marry each other. If a Jew 
were to marry a Gentile, their children would be Samaritans. Samaritan, Jew and Gentile in one body, that is the most repulsive ethnic group that exists. Y'all stay over here. We'll travel two days extra to get around you, because not because we're afraid of you and it's a bad neighborhood, not because we are too good to even come near you. This is the reality, which is why you understand <laughs> how radical Jesus was for, for telling stories like the good Samaritan to Jews. Mm -mm -mm -mm. What do you mean good? No. Or why he was so radical for sitting at a well talking to a Samaritan and a woman, which by the way, we won't even go there. A woman? Okay, and then when he was done, the Samaritans invited him. He went to Samaria and stayed for two days. He was, he was radical, a Jew. What are you even doing there with people who are less than dogs? It was in this climate of self-imposed segregation, division, tension, prejudice, hatred, hostility that sets the backdrop for the day that the apostles would be approached by Jesus and given their life's mission. He said, I have died, resurrected. Now here's your job. Build me a church. Build me a church. See, Jesus didn't plant a church. He developed the leaders that would plant his church because Jesus couldn't plant the church that was in his heart until the law died with him on the cross. So he planted the seed of the church in his disciples, and here's what he says in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came and said, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. You want to know what that word is? Ethnos. All ethnic backgrounds. All ethics. He's not telling them like we've misunderstood time to go to all nations. What he's telling them is every place you go, you preach the gospel to every ethnic group. You don't pass any by from the highest to the lowest. This gospel you will preach to all ethnos. So their mandate is to plant multi-ethnic churches in the tension that we just described. Until the up until this point, because of the Mosaic law, here's what church looked like. In the Jewish synagogue, there was the outer court, the inner court, and the most holy place. The outer court was also call, called the court of the Gentiles. And it was where all ethnos were allowed to come. But then there was a dividing wall. On that wall was literally plaques they have recovered written that said, if you pass this wall and you are not a Jew, the penalty is death. If you pass this wall, you will die. So the Jews, I mean the Gentiles on the outer court, the Jews are on the inner court, but then there was another dividing wall between them and the most holy place. The priests can go there, but the rest of them can't. So there are division within the church. And now the apostles are telling them to go, being told to go break down walls of division and build a church. You have to convince these people. Now I'm gonna tell you this, planting a church is already hard. I know your pastor made it look easy, but church planting is really hard. How do you go in and convince people, understanding this context, people who have lived their whole lives, been trained in their temples, in their worship places, in their homes for generations, that you do not integrate your life, you have nothing to do with these people, and now I have to convince you that you need to come and do life together, not just Sunday morning, you need to break bread together, you need to become brother. How do you convince them of this? See, Jesus didn't get to build a church, but he did get to show us how disgusted he was with the way church was being done. And I don't have enough time to get all the way into it, but when you see him cleanse the temple, 
You see him coming, and, and we always just think about the fact he was upset that business was happening and that the poor were being taken care of. But then he, he, he quotes, he says, Is it not written, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all ethnos? For all ethnos. Jesus was disgusted. He was quoting from Isaiah an entire chapter, which literally is all about how the, that Jesus would bring salvation also to the Gentiles and that he would bring them all together. Isaiah 56, if you want to look at it. The church God dreamed of didn't have dividing walls. So the apostles would have to plant that church. You look at things like the, the book of Philippians, the, the first members of the Philippian church was Lydia, an Asian, well-off, very rich woman, and then a, an oppressed, demonic woman, and then a, a jailer. They were from different, it was already, it was multi-ethnic from the very beginning. Every church they planted was multi-ethnic. If you know that and you go back and read the letters to the church, you're gonna read them all different. You're gonna go, oh, that's why you said that. The Jews, Look at the Gentiles and see, you're the people who oppress my people, killed my people, tried to take us out. We have defined ourselves by the idea that God has blessed us and we are above you. The Gentiles look at the Jews and say, you're elitist, you're privileged, you're bullies, you've looked down on us, you've demeaned us. They both have a reason to hate each other and to stay distant. And the, and, and the church's job, now the apostles' job, is to come and tell them the whole story. How do you convince these people? You know how they convince them? the cross. They literally went to them and said, you, I need you to know that someone has died for your sin. There was a very sin-aware culture. Everyone was trying to pay for their own sin in some way. You, Jesus has died. You, Jesus has died. But here's the thing. Up until now, it's been all about who was above and who was beneath. But we need to tell you, like a teeter-totter that goes up and down, up and down, what happens is that the cross, he took the center out of it. He leveled the ground at the cross. Now, no one's above, no one's beneath. Everyone is either within or without. And within him is every ethnos. So he would look at them and tell them, look. I know that you, you have issues with you, and you have issues with you, but here's what I want you to know. You're looking at each other saying, no, you, you owe me. You have to pay me back. But until you can pay Christ back for the cross, until this point, you no longer have that ability. You must look at them and see Christ's blood. If you want to receive the blessing of the cross, it comes with a responsibility. You must forgive as Christ has forgiven you. He said, at the cross, no one's elite because everyone's equally as guilty and everyone's been pardoned. <laughs> when you understand this climate, you understand why Colossians, when you read Colossians 3, um, and he's talking to multi-ethnic groups who have always had this hostility, and he says, here, I know what's happening out there, but here, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, no, 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 therefore... Clothe yourselves with humility. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you because this is who he's talking to. All the labels you have out there don't exist in here. So they were asked and required not just to come to church together, but to break bread together, to study together, to go to each other's children's graduations, to go to each other's cookouts, even if they make potato salad different and funny than you. Oh, just try to understand it. Religion has taught them that their differences make them enemies. And now the cross is coming to tell them that their differences make them essential. 
all the scriptures about the body. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, when you read about the body having many parts, being all different and giving different places of honor, he says, so that there would be no division, no division in the church. So I, I want to fast forward to Ephesians 2 and th- chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to kind of in here, and the musicians can come so that it reminds me not to go over my time. Um, Ephesians 2 and 3, we start to get to the bottom. In Ephesians chapter 2, talking to Gentiles, he says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He reminds them of the distance, right? Uh, He says, I know you need to reach far across the aisles to reach each other, but Jesus had to reach farther to reach you. It's a constant reminder. And he says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. (laughs) Remember, one into many with a reason to give them back to one. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. Remember our our conversation about the temple. He has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, reconciling both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He says that dividing wall of hostility that says Gentiles here and Jews here, that's been destroyed at the cross. That's why Jesus couldn't build the church he wanted to build because he had to still honor the Mosaic law. But once that law died on the cross, he said, what happened was those dividing walls crumbled because I tore them down. And not only did the wall crumble that was between different ethnos, but then the second wall crumbled where we now all together could come and have direct access to Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed on the cross. And Jesus said, this is the church I dreamed of. In fact, this is the church I prayed for. In fact, in Jesus' prayer, he exactly answers the mystery of why. He says, I pray they may be one as we are one so that the world might know. You sent me hey, in a world right now that is divided and hostile and harsh. What would make the church stand out except for if they look at it and say, that doesn't make any more sense than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those people do life together. They have found a way around all the, they found a way to watch the news together. They've done all of that. And the world will look and say, that doesn't just happen. My husband and I have a child and I want to tell you. That when we walk together and we push a stroller, people will unashamedly break their neck to see what in the world our child looks like. They have to know. And they don't care how they look. I want to tell you the world will break their neck to see what a united church, what it looks like when comes together in one body. That's why Jesus, I'm going to do it because this is what I can use to identify and mark my church. My, my church will be marked by the fact that out there there's Jew, Gentile, Greek. Out there there's black, Asian, uh, Hispanic, all of these other things. Republican, Democrat, people who clap on the ones and threes and the twos and fours. all that. But in this house, there is one people unified by the cross of Jesus Christ. It don't have to make sense to the world. Just come see. Come be a part. I can't explain how his father son holy spirit but just come see by this will all men know by this will the world know divided but united but the interesting thing is that in ephesians 3 you guys can begin for, for in ephesians 3 
Paul goes on to make part two of the mystery of why uh, unveiled to us. He talks about it as a mystery and he, and he declares that generations past it wasn't revealed. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that they were blessed to be a light, not to be elite. So they didn't get it, but it has been revealed to me by the Holy Spirit that this was his design, that, that they all together should understand and appreciate this. It was, it was kept hidden. And then it says this, verse 10, his intent. That's all I want to know. What was he thinking? This one to many, back to one. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think you need to understand the beautiful picture that's being painted here in the language, original language in chapter, in verse 10 it says his intent was that through the church the manifold wisdom, the word manifold is a word that is used to describe these intricately, intricately embroidered jackets, coats that were multicolored. Uh, manifold is diverse or multicolored that it was like the coat of many colors that Joseph wore. He says that the multicolored diverse wisdom of God might be known who to who. He wanted it to be known to the world so they'd know. But right here he says, I, I want it to be known in the heavenly realms. You think heavenly angelic beings? No. Heavenly realms is used in Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places, heavenly realms. What he's talking about here is not angelic beings, but the fallen angels in the spiritual realm. What is he saying? So that that devil can know <laughs> that although he has created chaos, and division although he is having his way in the world when he looks at my church my church is gonna be the trophy I hold up to remind that devil that I won when people who have every reason to hate each other find a way to come together and not just look at you as my brother because if your brother you're my brother I could hate you not my brother you're my body you're the legs I stand on you're the feet that I walk with if you win I win if you lose I lose when you weep I weep that is the kind of thing that is a trophy in the hand of God and he shows it off and he says every once in a while I want to let the devil know I won I won I won this is the church that we see in Revelation at the very end every nation tribe and tongue and I, I envision it as this, like a big huddle. Nobody can count the amount of people. You ever see a, a huddle before a game where they're all hype and they're like doing this, right? Arm and arm. I and mean, Jesus is at the center, but I think he moves around so he could touch everybody. But I picture this whole thing and they're all saying, worthy is our God, worthy is our God. And you want not a single one of them is saying, I can't believe you're touching me. Every single one of them is saying, I can't believe we're touching him. I can't believe. That's the perspective of church on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to ask you today, what do you do with what the word has said? Because what I want you to know is the plan of God is, is, is a multi-ethnic church everywhere you go, but pastors don't make multi-ethnic churches. They look at the pastor and blame him for whether it is or not, but you know what happens is when the people who are in that church start to engage people outside of their culture and say, I'm willing to do the hard work. See, I told you my story about diversity, but I didn't tell you that nine years in New York, the first year, 
Every time I went out, I was scared because of the names that I was called, the threats, the people throwing their bodies against doors, not letting me in, or covering the stairways and daring me to walk past them. And I had to do the hard work because I felt like the gospel is worth being uncomfortable. And I told you, and a year later, the same people, drug dealers pushing their bodies against the door, a year later, they were opening the door for me, okay? It was hard work. And I told you all the churches, the diverse churches I've been to, and you say, that's awesome. All these African-American churches, 99% of the time, it's an amazing experience. But I didn't tell you about the 1% of the time where you go and you find out there was actually a fight and the senior pastors didn't even want you there and they just couldn't come out and say it and someone else pushed for you. And uh, I didn't tell you about the 1% where you're sitting down in the front row next to senior pastors who won't even look at you or acknowledge you or you're standing in front of a massive crowd. And as soon as you get up to speak, the senior pastor gets up and walks out. But you know what? The gospel is worth my discomfort. Uh, we have a mission to accomplish. It is uncomfortable for you to go out and to all ethnos, to engage other cultures, to try to understand and come on the other side and see where they've seen. It is difficult, but it is the hard work that the gospel demands of us in this hour. It demands every single person going and saying, okay, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, have uncomfortable conversations, have uncomfortable moments. Because you know what happens? It's not that the world will look at a church on a Sunday morning morning and say oh look at their unity what they're gonna do is they're gonna watch your driveway do you understand the amount of people that come they're going to watch you and go how is it that this person has rich people poor people white people black people his what in the world do they have in common that the world might know that you sent me it's a hard call but I believe there could be at least five people in this room that would take the gospel seriously enough to do the hard work and that's my prayer, God, at least let a few. As we come to a close this morning, because I'm over my time, I, I, I just want to say this. The dividing wall has been torn between all ethnic groups by Christ, but the dividing wall has also been torn between us and Christ. And you might be in this room and you feel like there's so much standing between you and God. You might come to church frequently because it's what you do out of your culture what you were raised to do but you don't have real intimate relationship with Christ and I want to tell you that Jesus came and he gave everything not so you could stand behind a wall or stand at a distance he gave everything so you could come close by faith not of works because you can't do it yourself but the grace of God is this that in this moment if you don't know the Lord Jesus the Bible says this, all you have to do is believe and confess. In other words, you don't have to be able to get to the point where you can intellectualize it or teach it or even understand it. The Bible says this, if in this moment your heart is soft enough to just go, I don't understand why, but I actually believe this whole thing about a cross. The Bible says that is saving faith. And the only thing left to do is to admit, I've just had this moment where I believe. And I want to acknowledge it. And the Bible says, old things are passed away. Everything becomes new when you come close. I just want to give you an opportunity in this room, in this room this morning, if you would bow your head and close your eyes, to just respond to the cross. Maybe you have no relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're just very far and there's so much standing between you. I don't know where you are, but I know that God has come for you this morning by his spirit. He has come for you. And I want to encourage you that God 
No man comes unless the Spirit draws him. So if you feel drawn this morning, uh, act while your heart is soft. Don't wait till another time. The grace of God is to soften your heart to believe. So let this be the morning. If that's you and you say, I don't know Jesus or I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I need to re-engage him. Or maybe you say, I need the Holy Spirit. I really need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What I want you to do right now is just be brave enough to just stand up right where you are. I want to pray with you this morning. Come on. Just stand right where you are. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, God sees you. I'm going to give you just a moment to respond. You say, I need to respond this morning or I'm far. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What I'm going to ask you to do. Pastor Gregory is going to come and close out. But if you would stand all across this room, if if you respond to that and you say, today I just need to make that decision, why don't you come forward? There's someone who wants to pray with you. But would you all stand this morning so that they can get out of the aisles if they need to? In this moment, no one moving around. This is a sacred moment. But if for any reason you need to respond, would you just come this morning? Pastor Gregory is going to pray with you. Father, we thank you. Come on, I see someone coming right here. Let's, let's make her feel real good today. Awesome decision. Come on. Man, that, that was a rich word powerful word this morning i just want to gaze over this audience one more time to make sure you fully understood the invite that was extended to you we're not asking you today to join a church unless god is leading you to do that we're asking you to come closer to christ and i know the spirit of god ministered praise god come on come on praise god Come on, folks, this is all about souls. That's why we come. This is why we do what we do. Come come on, so I I just want to fish one more time in the same pond, if that's okay. I want to make sure that you understand.